How do we show compassion to someone who is struggling with their gender identity while affirming God's good design for them? Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and our very special guest on the podcast this time from Sydney, Australia is Patricia Wirakun, the author with Kamal Wirakun and Robert Smith of a recent Matthias Media book called The Gender Revolution, a biblical, biological and compassionate response. Patricia is a counsellor, sexologist and academic. She trained in medicine at the University of Sri Lanka and did her postgraduate study in sexology at the University of Hawaii. She taught at Sydney University where she was the director of an internationally recognized postgraduate program in sexual health. She's also a popular conference speaker and the author of several books and also joining us uh, today for this podcast is my co-host also from Sydney in Australia, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid. Hi, how are you both? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be with you. It's a joy to have you, Patricia. And I think Rido is the one who's responsible because he did the deal with Matthias Media. So oh, good on Rido. Wasn't, wasn't much of a deal. It was just a, an email. <laughs> it was. Patricia, I've got to ask you to start off with, what is a sexologist? Oh, it's always such an interesting question, isn't it? A sexologist, to put it very briefly, is somebody who studies about sex, researches sex, teaches sex, writes about sex and does some sex therapies, kind of a 24-7 sex, I almost said sex work, but maybe I shouldn't say that, a 24-7 immersion in good, healthy sexuality. My son Kamal says that's why he's an only child, because <laughs> I basically was too involved in academia for anything else. I was going to say it sounds like a fun job, but that might sound flippant. I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure it's a deeply involved and sensitive job at times. It used to be a very interesting and fun job, but the issue of gender is something that actually I have been interested in for a very long time. And that is probably the one area where, unfortunately, it is not fun. Mm. The title of your book is The Gender Revolution, and indeed we have undergone and are undergoing a massive gender revolution. But what I wonder is the gender revolution, Patricia? When we were thinking about titles for the book, we kind of threw around a lot of things. But then we finally ended up by thinking, we as Christians have a countercultural message. But interestingly, or maybe not so interesting for me as a biologist and a medic, there's this beautiful conjunction between God's word and everything that biology teaches about what makes us human beings. And today, in our culture, there is a complete turnaround of this. In other words, a turnaround against truth about our body and our very being. So there is the revolution, a revolution of belief, a revolution of words. And so we wanted to counter that with, I guess we would call almost a counter revolution of truth. And that's why the book. Mm. Uh, Rito, you have five boys and you're involved in education and, and pastoral work. How, how does this all sit with you? What's your experience of all of this? Well, I think uh, particularly with young people, uh, the young Christians that I'm encountering, it's not so much the 
that they've been taking along with the culture, but they just want the language. They want the framework to understand how do we think about this biblically? How do I help? My, how do I not be a bigot? How do I, and how do I engage my friends in this in a way that's helpful for everyone and particularly helpful for the kingdom and helpful for sharing the gospel with those around them? Mm. Uh, Patricia, I wonder to what extent that this gender revolution is being driven by ideology and also, I would suspect, being driven by sex education and schools. It's really two issues there. The first thing is when you get to ideology, ideology is based a lot on misunderstanding and plain ignorance of truth. And that's what our book is trying to bring out first. And as Ian very rightly said, young people and older people are basically don't understand what it's all about. So we firstly wanted to bring that clarity to the issue. So you see that clarity is what is lost in ideology. Ideology just picks the fact that, you know, you've got to be trans, you've got to be inclusive. After all, love is love. So it just takes away truth and presents that kind of what in our book we call, you know, we if you talk about a tree and then we talk about ideology as like cutting down truth of the tree and kind of mushing it up and confusing everybody, everything. That's what ideology does. It confuses truth. So the first thing is we need to present our people and the world with truth. Now, that's where we need to counter ideology. Secondly, when it comes to sex education, Sadly, in a way, parents and in a way we haven't as a church encouraged parents to be the sex educators of their children. And that's something Brent and Ian, I am passionate about. And that is that parents need to take that role of being the primary sex educators of their children from the time they're actually preschool, because if they don't do it, the kids will get it from someone else, sadly, social media and often pornography. That's why young people are so confused that they're not getting an education and they are being bombarded with ideological messages of confusion and untruth. Yes, how radical are some of the sex education? Just before we come on to talk about the gender revolution, how radical is some of the sex education? It, particularly, I'm thinking in Europe, where there have been some uh, interesting interviews in Holland recently with some horrified parents. What's happening there? It's everywhere. I mean, we read about it in UK, US, and very recently there was a, a, a problem with a book that was published in Australia for children. I mean, we are... We are presenting kids with an education about sex and gender that is not based on truth. Now, as Christians, we obviously want to present a biblical, a Christ-focused view of good sexuality and the truth of the body. But even if it just comes to biology, we need to be teaching basic good information at, and this is really important, at an age-appropriate manner. And that needs to be done very carefully. We cannot introduce concepts that are 
beyond an age limit to children who are in preschool and primary school because their brains, we call it in science, neuroplasticity, are very vulnerable to information. So we at an age when they are just understanding what it means to be boy, girl, we are introducing concepts that confuse and that's where the problem lies. And mm. we are teaching sexuality issues that are really beyond an age-appropriate understanding. And mm. this is why I always go back and say, parents, you have to take this back. As young as four, I was astonished to to read about in, in parts of the Netherlands, and there's been an outcry. We could talk for hours about all this and where it's all come from, and maybe we'll come back to that. But how complex, I wonder, is the transgender world? Or how complex is transgender thinking about the world? Well, in our book, what we talk about is we use the image of a tree. This is because the first thing we want to get across to people is that there is a root system without which we as human beings cannot survive. And this root system has two aspects to it. Just plain biology. I'm a medic. I studied gender in Hawaii. And the root system is that we develop in the womb of our mother. And right from the moment of conception, our biological sex as male or female is determined. So sex is determined at fertilization when sperm and ovum meet. During development in the womb, there is a differentiation of the male-female genitals. And this is only confirmed at birth. So gen biological sex is only confirmed at birth. Now, that's biology. But of course, as Christians, we believe that we are knit in our mother's womb. And that is so exciting because that beautiful congruence. So now that's the beginning. Then after birth, what we talk about in the book is that there's the branches, the branches of biology, puberty. You see, our biology is kind of begins in the womb, but at puberty, there's this beautiful blossoming of our biology as male and female. So puberty is important and ideology comes in there too. And then we talk about how our gendered behavior as male and female varies. Science tells us clearly that when you when you plot masculine, feminine behaviors, there's about a 30% overlap. There are feminine boys and there are very masculine behavior girls. But that doesn't make them the other sex. You can never be the other sex. So behavior, we talk about behavior and the variation in behavior. And then we talk about sexual orientation. Who are you attracted to? And even there, the, there is a clear, you talk to lesbian, gay, bisexuals. The attraction is to the other biological sex. So we talk about that facts of biology. And then we talk about how transgender ideology basically has cut the tree from its roots because they say biology doesn't matter. Your sex is only assigned at birth. Just listen to that word, assigned. 
That means a doctor or a midwife just made a decision with your parents. It, it didn't matter what your biology was. So you already cut off your root system. And then it goes on to say that, you know, if you are a little girl who behaves like a boy, then you know what? You probably are a little boy. And if you're a little boy who likes doing girl things, then guess what? You are a girl. And when it comes to sexual orientation, the gender ideology, which by the way, is just an inner feeling of who you are. Some Sometimes they would even say like your gendered soul. There's no scientific evidence, no brain neurological evidence for this inner feeling. It's only a self-declared feeling. When it comes to sexual orientation, lesbians, gays are told you must be attracted to the gender of the other person. So in other words, a lesbian is told you must be attracted to, now just stay with me here, if a biological male declares that he's a woman and he declares that he's a lesbian, then a lesbian female must be attracted sexually to him and be willing to have sex with him. Otherwise, she is a bigot and a transphobe. So that whole truth has been mushed up by ideology and gender identity theory says that if somebody, even a little child of three years old or even two years old, declares I am the other sex, then the child must be believed because the child knows at that age what mm. sex the child is. Of course, nobody can change sex. Your sex is determined at that moment of fertilization. I'm very sorry that's a long answer, but I get carried away. That was a brilliant answer. Thank you very much. It explains a lot. Rido, your questions, please. I've got quite a few questions that kind of spring out of that, but just one in particular is how does that understanding um, kind of dehumanize us? You know, kind of how does it make us less human when we think, okay, I, I can change who I am uh, and become something different? Now, that's probably something my son, young Kamal, would, young 47-year-old Kamal, would love to answer. But the reality is that to me, as a sexologist and watching all that's happening now, you know, the effect on sport, the effect on children being basically, I mean, you know, being told that they can change and become who the, the other sex, which of course is impossible. But if you're a little child, you live in fantasy world, you believe it. The effect it's having on men being allowed into women's spaces. When you look at that, and then you look at what it actually means in terms of being a woman, being a man, and the beauty of womanhood, which I have lived for 76 years of my life. And you think, what are we doing when we break those boundaries, mush up mass male and female, and then kind of shake it up and then throw up whatever a person wants to be? And you only have to watch one of those pride parades or anything to know how confusing our very humanity has become by mushing up the beauty of male 
female. Mm. Here's a question that might be slightly left field, Patricia. Um, does the gender revolution have any connection with transhumanism? Oh, many people seem to think that is the next step. Now, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think the tide is turning and at some point reality has to be or will come back into understanding of male-female. But the reality is that many people are saying that, look, what we've done is we have removed any biology of determining what we are as male or female. We say that, you know, what our brain says we are is really who we are, not the reality of our created good. So the next step could be that it's just all about our brain and we don't really need a body. Mm. And that's where some scientists would say we are heading. Rita, do you want to follow up with another question? I think that, that that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Is And that was my going to be my next question. Where, where is the end of this? You know, where, where is this heading? You know, kind of it, it started back in the 60s, you know, kind of, and, and this, there are roots of it earlier, obviously, but, you know, kind of with the sexual revolution, but also with postmodernism. Where, where is the end uh, of this? I actually was in Hawaii. I, my professor was Professor Milton Diamond, and that was kind of the time of John Money and this kind of the beginnings of what we are seeing now. Now, very briefly, just to tell you, since you mentioned the 1960s and 70s, it was John Money who introduced that aspect of like gender is something that's fluid and can be changed. Now, even the very term, if I may take a little tangent here, the word gender, when we first were studying it in 1980, meant behavior, gendered behavior. This has now turned into identity of who you say you are. So even the terms have become so confused. So we have a whole chapter in our book about words and how important words are. Anyway, that's by the way. So the question you asked, uh, Ian, was where are we heading? Now, there are very interesting, I guess, pointers as to the tide turning. A couple of things. One is that there is an increasing realization in many countries that the so-called gender affirmation, especially in children, isn't the best way to go. It isn't the best way because research shows us that if kids who say, I am the other sex and I was one of those when I was growing up I did not want to be a little girl so if these kids are allowed to as they call live in their body and just have some kind of exploratory what they call gender exploratory therapy over 85 percent even 90 percent these are kids who say I am the other who are confused or will accept their biological sex at puberty or soon after. Now, if they are what is called socially affirmed, this is a little child, a little girl who says I'm a boy, is allowed to dress as a boy, use a boy's name, look like a boy. The school is then 
told that the child must be called the boy's name and be affirmed as such by all the friends. And then when the child reaches early puberty, put on what are called puberty suppressant medication, although you can never suppress puberty, and that's another topic. In that case, almost 100% of kids will continue on to cross-sex hormones and surgery. So it, people are recognizing that many countries, many Swedish countries are pulling back on gender affirmation, Sweden, Finland, many others, even UK, where they've had a really in-depth investigation, are pulling back on childhood gender affirmation. So there is that happening. And the effects, the long-term effects of cross-sex hormones and the so-called puberty suppressants on bone, brain development, blood are just coming out because... Obviously, we don't have long-term studies. The results are just coming out. And the other big issue that is pushing back is the number of what we call detransitioners. And these are men and women, but largely women, girls who, when they were very young, were caught up in this ideology and went through the medication and even surgery and now say, I was 13, I was 14, I was a child. What did you do to me? And they are going back to their biology, although there's really no going back because that's what you always were. And detransitioners are speaking out and there's a number of them. And all this, I think, is making people just stop and think is this really a wise thing to do? So we can only hope and pray that this tide turning will actually result in a true pullback to reality and mm -hmm. health. Yes. So many questions, Patricia. I mean, we could we could speak for hours about this. What do you say to someone, and Rito, I'm going to bring you in here too, I think. What do you both say to someone, a young person, say, who comes to you and is struggling, who is struggling with gender identity? You want me to go first? Yes, yes, please. Okay. Um, the first thing I do, and I would do, is listen. Because every person who's struggling with gender issues has a different story. So the first thing I would do is really listen and ask, after listening, just ask about family, because often... It is about family acceptance of what we call a gender non-conforming kid. Now, I was a gender non-conforming kid. I was a little girl growing up in a very conservative Tamil Christian family in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. Two older brothers who are wonderful, seven and nine years older to me, whom I love dearly and I love what they represented and that is being a boy and I was a little girl who was supposed to be cooking and cleaning and helping mommy I hated it I so wanted to be a boy and I would plead with my mother 
when I was four and five and six and seven years old. She would say, that's lovely, darling. Now let's just go back and bake a cake and we'll talk about your sex later. So the fact is because I was allowed to live in that space, but being Christian, my parents so encouraged me to be a woman and to do what I want, which is why I ended up as a doctor and a sexologist. So that sometimes families could misunderstand the behavior and kind of think this child is like feminine, a little boy who's feminine, wants to do ballet, wants to wear pink. And that discomfort in this culture today, the kids kind of go, okay, maybe I am the other. So understanding the family background is important. The other important issue is that we know from research that gender non-conforming behavior is correlated, I'm not saying causation, correlated with adult or emerging same-sex sexuality. So in other words, same-sex attraction, gay, lesbian. And there are families and kids themselves who could be really uncomfortable with those same-sex attraction feelings. Now, there was a time when kids could be encouraged to live with the feelings and be and you talk to them about behavior being a choice. But today they are presented with if you are a little girl who's in who's butch in their behavior, more masculine, and you are attracted to other girls, maybe you actually are a little boy. So firstly, listening and trying to understand where this is coming from. I would want, I would then encourage a discussion with the parents, because the parents are most important in this, especially with a young person. And try and find out where is it coming from. There are so many issues here. There's correlations with autism, depression, self-harm. And now the big, big correlation with social media and what TikTok and Instagram are throwing up, glorifying the whole affirmation and even gendered even the surgery, like double mastectomies, as something glorious and easy and something really wonderful to do. So there are all these many aspects. I would explore a little bit, but I would want the parents to be involved in this. Mm. Rito, your thoughts? Yeah, one of the things is uh, in New Zealand, you need to be quite careful around this because there's new legislation that happened, was it last year? I think that came in where... Pastors and others are not allowed to. Oh, yes. Uh, That's right. Someone comes to me and says, This mm. is what I'm dealing with. I, I, I'm not allowed to uh, kind of persuade them in another way. Uh, but if if people do come to, and talk to me, particularly around, around um, same sex attraction and things like that from time to time, and I just say, Let's sit down. That's really complex. I don't, I don't struggle with that. Let me, let me hear your story. I, let's sit down and talk about that and kind of, and then, you know, kind of through that, we talk about, well, how do we work through this together and what do you think God's will is for your life in this area? Let's talk about that and let's walk together through this so that you can work out uh, how you're going to live this out and uh, and how, how you're going to, if they're a Christian, how you are going to uh, glorify God with your life uh, and uh, what that is going to look like going forward and the relationships that you're going to have and, and, and how that's going to look. And so it's more complex than just saying this is the way it has to be. It, we have to walk with people and, and listen to them. And that's what you're saying, Patricia, isn't it? That that we really have to stand with people. And one of the things that I 
want to be known for is that even if people disagree with me, I want people to say, at least they're for me. They, they've heard me. We may have disagreed on this, but I feel like I can go back to them, to, to us as a, as, a, as a church or me as a pastor and say, I know that no matter what, they're going to tell me the truth. They're going to stand with me and they're going to love me no matter what, even if there's disagreement. Mm. Yeah, and I think what you really said is really important there is one that, you know, you tell them the truth and truth matters that we tell them the truth, both biology, Bible, you know, the cultural critique, but also the fact that this is a long-term journey. It's not like a, giving a magic pill. Unfortunately, young brains, the teen brain, is at a phase when they want quick fixes. Mm. That's mm -hmm. part of being a teenager. The brain is like that. It's the eruption of the emotional brain while the, the kind of cognitive brain, the frontal brain is still developing. So the quick fix. So just even this developing, you know, let's walk together. This is a long journey is a hard thing for young people because they want the quick fix. And social media has told them that whatever their problems, it will be solved if you change your sex. There is This is the instant fix. So countering that in itself is a slow journey. Yes. Oh, we could talk for hours about this, Patricia. Thank you so much. And Rido, uh, Patricia Wirakun, our special guest on the podcast. Well, all our guests are special, very special. All of them. And Patricia, so are you. Uh, the author with Kamal Wirakun and Robert Smith of this recent Matthias Media book called The Gender Revolution, A Biblical, Biological and Compassionate Response. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rito, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes. Patricia and Ian, thank you both so much. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.